Yeah, I know. I thought I did. And I must have pressed a button. That was the wrong button. And I was like, oh, Lord. I was trying to download it because people were like, can you download the message? And I was like, okay. And then it wasn't there. But, all right. It's okay. All right. So let's... Um, Let's open up in prayer and we'll do some review because in this um, series now, we're going to start shifting from where we've been the last few weeks. So um, we'll do a little bit of review of where we were and then we'll get into today's message. So Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you the three of you, because before the foundations of the earth, you were and are and always will be in perfect relationship. Father, we thank you, Son and Holy Spirit. We thank you because you are the authors of relationship. Lord, we wouldn't know what that is or anything about it if you had not modeled it to us. So we thank you. Because, Lord, we know we were created for relationship. And, Lord, in all the things that we do in life, we know that the most intimate thing, the thing that we need the most is relationship, relationship with you and with each other. And so we thank you, Lord, and we thank you for this teaching because, Lord, um, <coughs> we need to know about safe relationships. We need to know that you are a safe God, 100% safe. We need to know that we can trust you with anything. We need to know that we were created to be ones that could be safe in relationship and be a model for others in safe relationship. So we bless you. We love you. Um, words just seem so inadequate, Father, to just express the amount of joy and, and love and, and just so many things, Lord, that we're just so grateful for. Because because of you, because of you, all things have been given to us. And we thank you because to you and through you and for you are all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's um, do a little bit of review. Gene, is your, um, is your intimate account as all right, so um, I think I gave a message last week about the intimate encounters. So as of this point, both groups are full, but um, we will be coming back into it probably later on in the fall, late fall. And so um, if you're still interested, um, we'll be letting you know when, those, when the groups open up again. So uh, last week, we talked about the three keys for authentic relationship with God and with others. So we're not going to go, you know, we're not going to go really through that, but I just want to point out those three keys. And those three keys were honesty, the cross, and confession. Confession to God and with others. So when we started out, this series, we started this series, and I think most of you got the handouts 
Um, and if not, I think we have a couple left there. But the six major components, the six major components to safe relationship, and all this time that we have been talking about um, God being the author of relationship and talking about um, authentic relationship, we've really been building, we've really been laying a foundation. Because if we are going to learn how to be safe people, if we are going to model being safe, we have to go to the author of safety. We have to know what safety looks like. But first of all, we have to know that God is a safe God. And so for the past couple of weeks, we've really been, um, we've really been trying to sort of hammer that home. Okay, that God is a safe God, that God is a reliable God, that he's a trustworthy God, that regardless of how you feel or regardless of how you may think that you've done the unthinkable or the unforgivable, that that's not true, okay, because God is ready to stand with you and walk through you in any and all circumstances. And that's really important for you to know because you can't begin to learn how to be a safe person. You can't begin to model safety if you don't realize that the author of relationship is completely trustworthy and will not turn you away in any situation. So there's a scripture I want to read to you. So, um, <coughs> so this is John uh, 6, the 6th chapter, 37 verse. And this is Jesus speaking, and he says, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So if you have a Bible or if it's in your device, I want you to under, underline, never drive away. Again, we keep hammering and hammering in a good way, but we keep going over and over and over this because we can look at our lives and we can say we have done things that I can't forgive myself for. How in the world can God forgive me? This thing is so ugly. This sin is so deep. This sin is so long lasting. How can God, this holy God, ever forgive this or walk through this with me. Jesus said, I will never turn you away. So that means your worst sin on your worst day, he will never turn you away. That has to become part of your spiritual DNA. That has to become part of you to the point of when everything in your mind is telling you that I've committed the unpardonable sin, 
that I've drifted so far away, I've gone so far away from God that I'm not, e I'm not even anywhere close to him, that you understand that that's not the truth. The truth is that he's not going to leave you or forsake you. Jesus just said he will never, and what is never, never means never, right? So that we need to, that's why we keep hammering that. And as long as I'm staying up here teaching for however long that is that the Lord will allow me to, I'm going to keep hammering that, okay? Because it's the key. It's the key for us to understand the power that God has given us to affect the change that he wants us to do. So now we're going to shift. So early on, we gave, um, you, we gave everybody a list of character traits. Now on this sheet of character traits, um, and if any of you don't have those, I think Gene just made some more. There's 174 character traits. The reason that we brought these character traits up in the beginning is because to know somebody, to truly know somebody, is to know their character. Right? Martin Luther King said that one day he had hoped that a man will not be judged by the color of his skin by the content of his character. So for us, as we have relationships, as we are forming relationships, and we have relationships with others, it's important for us to be able to judge somebody's character. When I say judge somebody's character, I'm not telling you to judge the person. I'm saying to judge their character. And you're not judging their character to make a statement about them, but you're judging their character to know if that person is safe or not. May I add to that? Mm -hmm. And when we judge, we're talking predominant, predominantly about discerning for this time in this period that we are. We can look at somebody who has a past label it whatever you want to label the past and go to them and determine that they are not yet safe right we can also look at that same person 20 years from now and if we keep the perspective and the lens that we had of 20 years before that they weren't safe what we've done is we've judged them in the way that we don't have the right to judge them because god sees us in the length of our lives we only see each other through whatever sphere we have, whatever window or opportunity we have during the time that we are together. And we don't know what God is doing in people. So that's kind of where we're saying to be cautious. The Bible does give Christians the uh, authority to judge. Uh, I know that there are, it's common uh, in our culture today to say that, yeah, we're not supposed to judge. And yeah, we're not. Because oftentimes when we judge, we're condemning that person. We're giving them a sentence. We're marking them for life, and we're marking them for the hereafter. 
And we don't have that kind of authority. We haven't been given that at all. Um, and so we just want to make that clear. So the reason I say that this is important is it's important from a safety standpoint. Okay. It's important that, and, and this is seen in over time. So you can't spend uh, you know, an afternoon with a person and say, oh, well, I know all about this person's character, right? This is something when we talk about the six components of safety, this is that first component that talks about knowledge. And that knowledge is based on knowledge of their character, which is revealed to you over time. Because one of the things about character is People can be very good at putting masks up for a while, but over time, okay, true character will always be revealed. And most times it will be revealed in the heat of trouble or crisis, is when true character will rise to the surface. But it's important for us to know that because and as we go and we start talking about modeling, as we start talking about trying to be safe people to people in our sphere of influence, we have to be able to judge character because you will, you will get very damaged. You will get very damaged if you just sort of go out there and just sort of open yourself up without knowing something about the character of the people that are out there. I think about this with my own son. My son growing up as a child was an awesome son, awesome child. His heart was very open, very loving, very accepting, okay? And as he grew up and he went through grammar school and high school and started getting into relationships, my son got very damaged. He got very damaged because he was open and the people that he was in relationship with, unfortunately, were not safe. And so now he's at a point where in his own maturity, the things that we're talking to you about now, he's beginning to understand. And you just can't open up to everybody. You can't just, as Jesus said, you can't put pearls before swine. And don't get me wrong, I'm not calling people swine. But what Jesus is saying is, he did. <laughs> I, I, yeah, but I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but you know, I'm leaving that alone. <laughs> okay, I'm leaving that alone. But the model of that is just that not everybody out there is safe. Not everybody out there is safe. And so as we go into the world, we have to be able to judge. And that's even in our own family. Right? Not everybody is safe. So that doesn't mean that, oh, you know what? My sister's not safe, so I'm never talking to my sister again. But when you say not safe, does that mean not trusting? That's part of it. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
this whole series is about really getting a definition and an understanding of what safety is. It's not a, a, a yeah, it's not a one and done. And also, there's a component of that that's your own work. You determine, given what we share with you, but most definitely what the Lord shares with you, what is safe and who is safe. Because there's no way we could possibly cover every single scenario. Certain scenarios will make somebody who is typically safe become unsafe. I'll give you an example. <clears throat> I, ha I have had the pleasure of having way too many surgeries in my life. I had knee surgery. Um, I don't remember which knee surgery because I have had three knee surgeries. <laughs> so I have a, a very good friend who she and her husband decided that part of my rehab, because she's, a, she's in fitness, part of my rehab would be um, to get in the pool. And I was having physical therapy through my health care plan, but um, it did not include anything in the water. And I was having a really hard time recovering from just, you know, they go into your knee, they open it up. and So she bought me a gym membership for a month or two. And um, she or her husband would come and one of them would drive and the other one would sit with me in the back seat and take me to the uh, fitness place. And she would get in the water with me to help me you know, kind of start working the knee, just start rotating and maybe doing some kicks. Well, I became very unsafe for her because I can't swim. So I'm like this around her neck through the, in the pool. And she's like, get off my neck. <laughs> We're both going to drown if you hang on my neck. <laughs> I became completely unsafe because of this irrational... And in some ways, black folk fear of water. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. <laughs> That's why we were so jazzed by the young African-American that was on the swim team last time. <laughs> like, oh, we can swim. <laughs> we don't drown. <laughs> but that's, that's just a tape <laughs> that runs. I don't know why. We haven't got to, I haven't got to the root of it yet. Maybe y'all can help me. But I just put it out there. In that, in that scenario, in that environment, I was entirely unsafe for her. Okay, so safety is not just something you can paint a picture of and, and here it is. Jean? I mean, I think you, you, you put on this as a podcast, but I think you've kind of addressed it. But I don't have problems if someone else shares my business. I don't have problems with it. Ron and I have gotten to the point in our life, we're so open, we're so vulnerable. Anyone can talk anything, and we really don't. But other individuals, okay. it's if, if you told if you told someone else that they went to the grocery store yesterday, yes, that could be an unsafe thing because exactly. it's no one else's business. That's right. That, that I went to the grocery store. That you went to the grocery store. So depending upon the injuries mm -hmm. and the security issues that you have, yes, um, that level of safety may be may be great. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so that's where the relativism comes in, mm -hmm. where each individual 
Exactly. Not only what's safe, but whether or not their ideas of safety are actually, and then I know you're bringing out our safety needs to come from the cross first. Mm -hmm. You know, so if, if we're, you know, getting all tripped out because someone told someone else that we went to the grocery store yesterday, mm -hmm. um, which in most circumstances shouldn't be a big trigger for safety. Mm -hmm. um, if it is a big trigger, then it's time to reassess, okay, well, it's where, you know. I love the way, I'm sorry. I love the way that Jean articulated it because she was able to really give you some concrete terms to define the example that I gave because it's, it's the individual's injuries and in the situation. Um, but I also think about, and, and I'll, I'll be quiet, I also think about the level of safety that I feel to be able to say, I could have totally not told you guys that African Americans have this fear of water. I could have totally left that out. Right? Very easily. And why do we who are African American laugh? Because there's a truth to it. But it's not a truth that we feel comfortable being vulnerable about. So sometimes we laugh to cover up, you know, a little embarrassment that we feel or a discomfort that we feel. But I felt safe enough to put it out there. And obviously it's my issue. That doesn't mean that every African American you see cannot swim. Because my dad was a great swimmer. And our, and our son, but, but our our son is our like, son swims like a fish. he's like, I can't oh believe you goodness. guys don't use your pool. Totally I live there, you know, so. jump in the pool in October. Yeah. Like, so at the same time, we're not trying to perpetuate stereotypes. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Some of us can swim. But okay. that is also the reality. Okay. So as you guys know, in this class, we are very real. And, and right? yeah. And that's also how we get to know one another and how we, we step out and we, we test with each other what's safe for me to share, you know, and, and you know, we're you know, we're just here to be real. Paul. Um you you touched on something that, that just kind of tickled the back of my skull. I've heard that kind of a whatever, I don't know what you would call that, that mm -hmm. black folks can't swim. Mm -hmm. Right? I chalked it up as some racist so-and-so is just spilling garbage out of this pie hole we shouldn't be opening, right? Um, uh, so it's interesting you brought that up and it brought to mind, was it a year ago or two years ago, I was on a jury um, uh, and the person on trial was African-American um, and there was an African-American on the jury and he was a former New York cop uh, Long story short, they, they got to a point that uh, they had six pictures on a piece of paper about that big, um, six pictures of African-American men, uh, and somebody said, you know what, she picked that guy out like that. You know, one of the, one of the witnesses, uh, a victim. Um, he picked him out like that, and they all look like they are from the same parents. They're polite the way they said it, African-American man, I think it was Doc, actually. Uh, he said, you know what? If you don't live around black folks, you're not going to know. I can see, yeah, no, these guys are not related. Just like if you don't live around white folks or Asian or whatever. Uh, and he put this thing on the table. I said, you know what? I always thought, can I say it? They all look the same to me, right? I always thought there again, that's just another one of those racist things that is just pure ugly. But it, 
logic came out. It was it was really fascinating. We had a neat talk about, you know, yeah, the people you spend the most time with, you can see the differences. Um, you know, some different different races or cultures, that kind of stuff. If you spend time there, you know who you're talking to. It, so, it was just really fascinating. So let me say this, and then we're going to move on. Because uh, we're going down a rabbit hole that I don't want to go down. Not, not, not for any other reason that we have a teaching here that we need to go to. The beauty about our God okay, is his love for diversity. You live on a planet that has over 100 million different types of plants and animals and species okay not one of you even if you're african-american not one of you are like the other your dna is different right each and every one of the six billion people on this planet regardless of their skin color are unique right that is a god that loves diversity. So as we, as Christians, begin to understand this God that loves us so much and that we love, understands that the beauty of him is in diversity, right? And so the beauty of it is that each of us have a culture. Each of us have a history, whether good or bad. Right. The beauty of it is that in true relationship that we can come together and we can talk about our backgrounds and we can talk about our cultures, whether good or bad, and to know that we are knitted together by this God that created all of us. Right. Those that are mature see it that way. Right. And so safety Real safety starts when she can say what she said, right? And we don't get offended, whether black or white, okay? That's where that starts. And you're right. To know each other and why knowing is the number one component on that safety is because when you know me and you know me for me, and you know me as an African-American, but you also know me as a man, you know me as an American, right? You begin to see me and not the color of my skin, right? But when that happens and we truly know each other, and that's where love is really formed right there. But you live in a world that what I'm talking to you right now is totally counter culture. Because, right, what does God say? Man judges on the outside, but God judges by the heart. And we strive to be people that are people of the heart, right? Because that's what's going to change a culture. That's what's going to change a world. I've seen there's a, there's a story of... An African American woman, I'm gonna, and I'm going to switch. That 
has been friends with a Klansman for the last 15 years. And you would go, what? How is that possible? She said that he's a human being and he needed love just like any other human being. And it was a picture of Facebook, the two of them hugging. And he said, what changed me was that regardless of who I was, what I said, what I believed, she saw me as a human being and she loved me. And what I'm telling you is that you have a power to make a difference and to change if you understand how God has created all of us. Because we all want to be loved. We all want to be respected. We all want to be nurtured. And if we would take up that mantle, instead of allowing the world to dictate what our mantle should be, you'd see some awesome miracles. You'd see some unbelievable miracles. Gene, and then I'm going to switch. You, you talked about the diversity and that being the culture of society. One of the things that we need to remember is yes, definitely God glorifies in diversity, but we are all created in the image. And we can never forget that. And just like the different diamonds have different cuts and different clarity, different facets. And, and different facets and everything else, and put out different shines, um, we are all created in his image right. and, and we have to uh, celebrate the differences but remember the, the creation the image that we're created in yeah exactly because that's why we are all brothers and sisters in Christ right we are all brothers and sisters in Christ we are the family of God right okay so let's get into this week's teaching. So we're talking about character. Okay, so Jesus is our model, right? Jesus came down, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, went back to heaven. But Jesus left us some character traits that we can emulate. And these character traits, first of all, helps us to get a picture of where we, maybe we are in relationship to where Christ was in his ministry on the earth. So these traits in this session is excuse me, so 10 character traits of Jesus that fosters safe relationship 10 character traits of Jesus that fosters safe relationship so what we're going to do is we're not going to have time to go through all 10 so we're going to try to go through 5 and um, I won't be here next week. Leona will pick up and then she will try to finish those that we didn't get to. 
So the first character trait, and these are not in any kind of, they're numerically ordered, but not in order of importance. So number one is compassionate. Jesus never looked away from people. He always looked upon them and had compassion. And uh, scripture, Matthew 9, 36, can you look that up for me? Whenever people were around him, Jesus understood their real needs and sought to address them. For some, physical healing was necessary. For others, the root, ir the root issue was spiritual. In all cases, though, Jesus took time to actually notice people, notice that people were hurting, and his compassion drove him to help them. Matthew 9, 36. <clears throat> but when he saw all the people, he was moved with, in this translation it says, pity for them because they were troubled and wandering like sheep without a keeper. So today we live in a world that is very upside down. And all of us have people in our sphere of influence that are troubled in one way or another. Okay. So we're not called to go out and fix what is troubling them. But what we are called to do, and what we do want to do, is we want to model compassion. First of all, we have to learn to be compassionate people. See, because one of the things that unfortunately we do in the church is we read scripture and then we say, okay, now you go out and do it. <coughs> so you go out and be a compassionate person. You go out and you make sure you're compassionate to your fellow man. Well, that's all great and good, but if I'm not a compassionate person, how far do you think I'm gonna get trying to be a compassionate person? Right? Here we go with the mask again, right? So I read the scripture, go out and be that compassionate person, okay? So I put on the mask of being compassionate. And then I get out there, and then somebody takes me off, or I have some kind of unreal expectation of the benevolence of my compassion, right? I've been compassionate to you for six months, and you're still a jerk. <laughs> I may need to go find somebody else that I can, my compassionate will, you know, work a little faster, right? So I can get closer to this whatever holiness I think I'm trying to get closer to. Okay. See, it's not about doing. It's about being. Right? So when I look at the character traits of Jesus, I have to begin on this journey, and if I'm not, then I need to go have a little talk with Jesus. Anybody remember those spirituals? Have a little? <laughs> going, oh yeah, I've heard that a million times. Well, you know what? That's true. That's true. And God, what's going on inside of me that I can't be compassionate? I have to go through that journey. Because when I read in the book, I tried to go out there and be compassionate, 
and I was getting ticked off. Hey, I'm just being real, right? Because I'm supposed to be compassionate. Oh, when I'm supposed to be compassionate, then people will change and they'll come to Jesus and they'll like love people. And I'm like, okay, I'll go out there and do that. But after a few months, I got tired of doing that because nothing was happening. And I had to win some souls. Let's go. It wasn't about me becoming a compassionate person. But this is all about becoming. Right? Because when you become, you naturally do. So compassion. The next one is to be a servant. Without a doubt, Jesus was the ultimate servant. Although he was praised as a great teacher and even had a decent following, he made sure to teach them to be servants by actually doing it himself. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus tells everyone, the Son of Man came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve. Despite having the authority to get anything he wanted, to have people pamper or praise him, he did the exact opposite by lowering himself and becoming a servant. Now, this is a hard one. If compassionate wasn't hard, this is a hard one, right? Because many times we serve because we think we're gonna get something out of it, right? But again, this is one of these, one of these traits that is something that you have to be and not something that you're trying to do. we have to be able to learn how to serve people by really entering their world. You know, we talked a few, uh, um, a few weeks back about what it takes to come alongside person. You know, we talked about Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. You know, what, is it, what does it take for that? What does it take for us to come alongside and serve people, that's what that's about. And not serve ourselves. You know, there's a scary trend that's going on in the church where it's all about us. You know, the pastor's message wasn't that good because it didn't really, didn't really hit me, didn't really affect me. Or I don't like this going on at church. I don't like that going on at church. <clears throat> or I got to read the scripture and see all the things that God has done for me. And I'm not saying that that's bad. But we have, we have stopped learning how to be servants. God called us to be servants, his servants. And so what does that mean? That means we're going to have to give up something. 
That means that it can't always be our agenda. To model safety, we have to become servants. We have to learn how to serve others. And it's going to be difficult because you're going to serve people that are not going to be grateful. Right? They might go, hey, oh, man. They might even go on the other way and start saying, man, I can really use this person. And I mean use, use this person, right? I can really use this person. But even there, okay, as we start, if we go down a few weeks from now, we start talking about protecting our hearts, okay? A lot of this has to do with your spiritual discernment, okay? Because there is a way to serve somebody and not get used, okay? There is a way to model safety and not get run over, okay? There's a way to be compassionate and not be used as a doormat, all right? Because Jesus is not looking for you to go out there and get beat to a pole. That's not the whole idea. The whole idea is that you are strong enough in knowing who you are and knowing whose you are. You're strong enough to go out and be compassionate and be a servant, okay? But also be wise enough and spiritually discerning enough to know when I got to put some boundaries up here, okay? Because this person's character is starting to let me know that maybe they're a manipulator. Maybe they're a user. Yeah, let me see which one. But the point is, no matter who that person is, we're still called to go out and to be safe people, right? But we got to use some wisdom. Sometimes it's not uh, because the individual or individuals you're involved with are manipulating. It could be circumstances. You might mm-hmm. need to you cultivate that understanding of where I need to serve from your relationship with him. And if you're missing out in your relationship with him, the Lord, because you have to serve, that's a boundary you just crossed that ought not to be crossed. So sometimes it's your environment or your situation. And um, we have to be cautious and careful about that as well. Sometimes the boundary limits are, um, well, yes, I would love to from a heart of um, love for the Lord, I would love to be able to pour out and do X, Y, Z, A, B, C, but I also have to work during the week. So does working during the week outside of the church mean that you're not serving? Because we've made serving only a thing that we do in church. Serving is supposed to be, as Joseph said, about who's we are and who we are in him so we could be serving in the marketplace and we're discounting it because we don't see ourselves on our schedule being able to be at the church every time the door opens or being engaged in all the ministries that our heart beats for 
Maybe God has called us for a season to serve with that heart in the marketplace while we serve the body of Christ through giving. And, and the American church does a whole lot of giving, you know, so it's not a, a knock on us as a church, you know, not giving. That's something that we do. Usually we don't put our hands to the plow as much as we give money or send money. But, but there are seasons in life where maybe we are called to serve our families. I remember that season where I heard it and I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it did not go well in here when I heard that that was a ministry. I was like, that's like so opposite everything I ever thought serving Christ was about. But when I got that revelation, there were some things in here and how I think and in my heart that God had to expose to me that my heart for serving him wasn't coming from the right place and because I didn't consider it an honor to serve my family, to be there, you know, for my kids, to take them to school. To pay. Like, there's something really wrong with how you're looking at serving. So I just wanted to add that to what we're talking about. <clears throat> As Joseph is looking for a scripture. Yeah, that's okay. Um, Lee brings up a good point. Um, and the scripture I was looking for was, and Lee and I did a teaching on this last year, um, where we are called, and since Second Corinthians, I can't remember, but we're called ministers of reconciliation. Oh, yeah. As God, as though God was making his appeal through us. Yeah. Might be, yeah. Um, and what's really important, Thank you. In that is that to realize that that's where our ministry lies. Your ministry lies in the sphere of influence that God has given you. Right? Because God is reaching out. God wants to reach out to a world that doesn't know him. And so in each one of your lives, right, there is a sphere of influence that you have. And God is calling that to be your ministry. And part of that ministry is relational. It's, it is relational. Okay? Because we plant the seeds, but God grows. You know, God taught me a lesson quite a few years ago. Because... As a new Christian, I used to think evangelism was an event. Evangelism, yes, can be an event, but God does not create evangelism to be an event. The church can make it an event. <clears throat> and this was brought home to me probably about 15 years ago. And I was working at this place and I was a Christian. People knew that I was a Christian. I don't hide. I'm not a closet, I'm not a closet Christian. But I don't take my Bible and start hitting you over the head with it. But I understood that once you open your mouth and say that you're a Christian, right? You now start getting watched. So your walk, right, is your testimony. 
So there was this guy that drove truck for another company that I'd probably known six or seven years. I never once talked to him about Christ. <clears throat> so one day he drives up and he says, I know you're a Christian. And he says, I've been watching you. And I want to know, how do I become a Christian? That floored me. Totally. I mean, if I wasn't leaning up against a wall, I probably would have fainted. <laughs> because I had no idea. I had no clue. I wasn't trying to evangelize him. I was just trying to be true to what I believe and walk in the way that he wanted me to walk. So he came to Christ that day. That night, he brought his wife to a Bible study. His wife got saved. Right? So what I'm saying is, God that day said to me, Joe, evangelism is a lifestyle. Every day, every moment of your day, you're an evangelist. Whether you know it or not, whether you don't want to be or not, you're an evangelist. Um, I was I'm going through something where I, God's revealing to me, um, to, I'll be pretty out there, how I'm selfish in a lot of ways. And so I've been praying that God would help me to have more compassion, more kindness, and be more loving in, in just everything I do. And when you pray that, God will open up opportunities. And what he's been doing with me is, is something very unusual, at least for me. Um, in my prayer time, he's been showing me faces of, of people at work that I know are not Christians and work on the same floor with them, you know, year after year. And, and um, it's happened four different times in my prayer time. He has told me to give them my devotional. And I was like, I thought it was me. I, this is crazy. I'm, what? No. And, and I just bought two different brand new ones. And it's like, oh, well, it, are you sure? I'm like, you know, are, are, are you sure, Lord? And, and their face just comes clear as a bell to me. And then... I know I have to do it, and, and I'm scared to death. I mean, I know we're not supposed to have fear, but this is something very new to me. And um, one was a man, he, his son just took his life, and it was his only son. He was 35 years old, and um, he sh just started sharing with me, and this was before I gave it to him, but he's started sharing with me how he's been reading his Bible every night since it happened and, and questioning God and God has just been opening doors and, and giving me the words to say to him that I said it's okay to be like you said Joe it's okay to be angry with God it's okay to be frustrated and pour it all out to him I said he has the shoulders that can carry it all and he's just been opening up these opportunities for me so I, I praise God. This is something really new. It's it, 
it's scary, it's the unknown, but it's just something that's happening in my life. And I just wanted to share that, you know, because he'll, if you ask him, what areas do I need, you know, improving on, he, he will rebuild it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you for sharing. That's yes. awesome. Thanks. Um, thinking about you, you're talking about being a servant. And I was thinking about what we do every day. Uh, you know, you talked about serving your family. Mm -hmm. How kind of silly slash odd of a concept that was. And yet at the same time, that's what we're told to do. Um, as an employee, it's your job. Serve your fellow employees, serve your boss. You want him to, um, you want to succeed and you want him to succeed, serve him. Mm -hmm. The Lord will bless that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, it's just something that I think it's really powerful because I think, like you said, Joe, people see that. They don't see the backstabbing, they don't see, they see things that they expect to see in a workplace, right. but they don't see things. <clears throat> that are selfless and yet the Lord rewards that behavior and when you do those things and you treat your fellow employees that way and the people that you work around um, whether they're above you or under you um, you can always serve <laughs> we're never more like Jesus when we serve and serve in ways that People don't even think of serving. You know, there was a person in here that gave a testimony a few months ago where she was driving through a toll booth. And she drove through the toll booth and she stopped and she said, I want to pay for the person behind me. And it shocked the toll person. Right? People not think about that as serving. I was just doing a good deed. Right? God used, God wastes nothing. God uses everything. We have to be in the mindset that we're looking for opportunities at every time to serve. I can remember my next door neighbor. She's a nurse. She lives there by herself. And one day I was putting my garbage in and God says, from now on, I want you to put her garbage away every Friday. Every Friday, I want you to put her garbage away. And I put her garbage away every Friday. And I was doing that for months, and she didn't know. Until one morning she was home, I didn't know, because she works like 36-hour shifts. And I put her garbage away. She came down and cooked me the most awesome cookies. <laughs> I was like, Lord, if I'd have known, I'd have done that sooner. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you're going to make me some cookies. I'll put your garbage away, He is not exaggerating. You know what I saw of those cookies? I saw her hand him the plate. That was it. I did not see not even a trail of a crumb. None. But but here's a here's a here's a thing, and, and it was it was awesome. I mean, she made she made them out of love, and she wrote me this this beautiful card, and you know, so you know, I wasn't doing it for that. But the thing was, she knows. That we're Christians. She knows that I didn't come next door and say, can I sit down and talk to you about Jesus? Right? Because that's what most people expect. They expect you to do that so they can shut you down. 
but she got a demonstration of such love. And she sees my wife now, she comes across the street and hugs her. And she's like, I am so grateful to have neighbors like you in our life. I think it was Augustine says, preach the gospel. And if you must, use words. Sing James. Sing. I just, I appreciate everything that's being shared. And um, I think the one caution is we have to listen to what we're being directed from the Lord in those areas to serve. Because I know in times in my life, I've been called to serve in different areas, but I've used the, well, God's had me working here in my comfort zone. You know, I'm serving my family because that's, but really, God was calling me to work and to serve someplace else in addition to. But I didn't want to be stretched, you know. Um, so with with this area of service, it's hard because people tend to be codependent and serve everywhere because you know God wants us to serve and we're supposed to serve and and like Leon shared, we kind of burn out because we're so busy mm-hmm. serving that we're not actually spending any time with our Lord. But if we're if we're not serving because God has directed and we're not listening to where God directs us to serve, um, we may be missing out on, on a lot of opportunity for growth and blessing mm-hmm. um, for ourselves and for others. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really important that we ask the Lord, where do we serve today? Mm-hmm. You know, assuming that within our jobs and our family, those are kind of automatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we serve. Um, to serve, but also to specifically toward what acts of service. Yeah. And I think Jim brings up a, a very good point in terms of that because I, I think, you know, Lord of mercy, Leona and I were in a church where we were there seven days a week. Oh my goodness. We were, if there was something open, we were there because we thought God had called us to do it, right? But God doesn't call you to do stuff to burn out. But I want you to take a different spin on this type of service that I'm talking about. I'm talking about having a servant's heart. Okay. Because a servant's heart will allow you allow the Spirit of God to be able to direct you in those moments where you can serve. Because again, I want to take us out of this idea of, you know, okay, here's this ministry, here's this thing, here's this event, here's this, that's not the kind of, that's not the kind of service I'm talking about. The kind of service I'm talking about, okay, is where you go into a McDonald's and you see a person there working and the spirit of God right there says, give them a word of encouragement. And you say, you know what? Thank you for serving me the way that you served me because you had a smile on your face and you had a sweetness to your voice and thank you because it's something that's rare and that I don't see. That is service. And see, sometimes we don't we don't equate that to service. We think of it as the event or the thing, right? But what I'm saying is there's a lot more of that opportunity out there than you realize because our minds are not tuned to it. But what I'm saying is if you begin to tune your mind to that, you're going to see areas of service. And what I mean is this is service. Yep. Hello, folks. Oh, oh. This is service. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
many times we don't look at that as being service. Oh, I got to go over here and serve here, here. That's fine. If God calls you to do that, that's the other thing. All right. God's not calling you to serve in every open ministry 24 seven. You know, it's like this thing, I, I belong to this leadership group, this group of men that lead other group. And this guy was saying, boy, you know, my wife just had a baby and I'm really anxious to get back into ministry. I can't wait till she is okay so I can leave and go serve God. There was another situation where our, our daughter is in grad school and her New, new semester, one of her professors comes in and says, you know, my wife has just been diagnosed with stage four cancer, but I'm not going to allow it to disturb what it is I have to do here. Mm. Disconnect. It's a disconnectedness going on in his heart because he has an opportunity to not only serve his wife, but even to deal with what's going on with himself rather than to immediately shift and make it clear I have to be here for X, Y, or Z because that becomes greater than even his own need. <clears throat> Sometimes serving is being in our prayer closet and letting the Lord minister to us while we also minister to him. Okay, well, we only got through two. <laughs> so, oh, no, we didn't. Wait for three oh, that's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. So we're going to be on these 10 trades for a little while. Yes. Okay. But just yeah, also to call out, um, as, as Renee shared with us, that scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, about our ministry of reconciliation. Yeah, and I would read the, just this week, I would read that chapter because that really gives you insight into what we've really been called to, right? What we've been really been called to. Um, excuse me, you guys were touching on uh, serving at work. Uh, and I don't know the details and stuff, but they did advertise something during first service that work as worship. Work as worship. Work as worship. Yeah. So, so mm -hmm. taking this thing into the workplace mm -hmm. and stuff. Uh, it says February twenty third. That's a Friday. It's a Friday. Or if you can take off. Yeah, because it's uh, it, it wasn't. It's not put on by us. We just happened to by us meaning Calvary Temple. We're just a host location, mm -hmm. so. Yeah, because I think it's uh, Simon Castle. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. Father, we thank you um, for this day. Lord, we thank you for your spirit. God, we thank you for being in the family of God. Wow, is that it's just an awesome thing to be in the family of God. Father, it's it's awesome to be in our in relationship with our brothers and sisters. God, it's awesome to just see the diversity. Father, that you have created in your creation. And Lord, we just say that we love you. Father, we just are overwhelmed and overcome by your love. Uh, Father, we are overtaken by your love. Mm. And so, Father, we want to give you that love back. We want to love you, Lord, by giving you our lives. Father, that we can do all that we need to do and all that you've called us to do. Father, we ask that by your spirit, 
you make us more compassionate, more loving, more merciful, more full of grace. Father, to a world that doesn't know what any of those words mean. And so, Lord, that we would do that and we will become ministers of reconciliation. But, Lord, we would also become lifestyle evangelists. That, Lord, that through just living who you have called us to be, that, Father, you will draw people not onto us because of somehow we look good, but, Lord, that they will be drawn to the spirit that lives within us. So as Paul says, that we can give the reason for the hope that lives within us. Father, help us to love each other more. Help us to love our fellow man even more. Father, through the pain, through the hurt, through the confusion, Father, help us to have the heart that you, that you have. Help us to have the heart that you have for, your, for our fellow man. That, Lord, that you say, I wish that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Father, this is the root of your heart, the root of your love, the deepness of your grace, that, Father, you want all to come to you. And so, Father, may that be the cry of our heart. May that be the compassion that lives in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Love you guys. We'll see you next week.